Hey, it's Cambrio from CambrioMusic.com, and today I have a wonderful interview with Rainbow Sun Franks. Rainbow is an actor, musician, and former Much Music VJ. Thanks for coming by, and let's get started. Just some general Much Music experiences. How, how did that go? Man, uh, it was one of the greatest experiences of uh, my life. What a what a thing to grow up in Toronto and um, grow up with much music, watching it. It was, you know, really anywhere in Canada, but especially Toronto, walking by uh, 299 Queen Street West and all of that stuff for your whole life. And then one day getting the opportunity. You know, it's funny because everyone always says, I could be a VJ. I could be a VJ. I could be like, you know, I could do that. I could do yeah. that. Or I would like to do that. And I got to do that, you know, and uh, learn what it was to actually do what we saw. And it was, it was much different than you thought. And it was, it was uh, an incredible new skill set that I had to learn. And I'm very grateful that I had the opportunity to do it for years. Awesome. Uh, was Strombo around by that time? Yeah, Strombo was yeah, strong Strombo was strong. Uh it was me, Rick the Temp, uh Jen Hollett, uh Amanda Walsh, Bradford Howe, Namagani Kiwanuka. I think that was it. Um when I first started, uh, Master T and Suk and Lee were there, but they were just leaving as I was coming in. Strombo mentions how he felt you guys didn't get enough credit really for kind of some of the issues you talked about. Absolutely. I don't think we got enough credit for anything that we did. You know, being a VJ at that time, uh, after I, I left and uh, some of the next generation guys came in, it became way more produced by the producers. It became way less free flow. Um, the, the VJs had less airtime and, and less freedom of speech as far and there was more promos. It was just more corporate. Uh, there was a corporate shift at that time. Uh, after I left and things changed a lot. They started using teleprompters. You know, when, when we were there, George and I, there were no teleprompters. We had to talk a certain amount of time, whatever it was, and we just got to talk, you know? And and all of it was us. And um, a lot of the time when we were just doing, uh, during the day, the video flow, there was no one there. We were doing all our own segments. We were researching, we were doing everything ourselves. And everyone thought that we were knowledgeable, obviously, but there was, always uh it, we weren't talking heads we were we right. were there we, we were doing the work constantly uh, you know george and i were spending i was doing 85 90 hours a week in there i was when i wasn't on air i was in there researching i was watching old videos of george so i could learn how to be better at, at giving interviews you know it was uh it, it, there really was and we were we really were conquering uh topics that weren't really um poignant in in the in the mainstream media all the time Absolutely. And, and as far as music goes, there's so many great shows like new music and, yeah. and uh, the wedge that were discovering bands that would have never gotten a shot. You know, it was really a great time for, for music and, and a, a really, now that it's gone, I, I miss it. And I, I really, re you really realize how wonderful and worthwhile it was. Yeah, do you think some of that kind of originality and off-the-cuff stuff has gone online, or is, is it just gone? Like, what's happened to that feel? Um, yeah, I think it's gone online, but yeah, I think it's gone online. I think there's something missed with 
there was something that Moses Neimer created in that, in that place that was so special because he allowed young people who were into the music to talk about the music they loved. There was something special about that environment being open to the public. It was something, you know, we were able to speak to people on the street at any minute if we wanted to. You know, I, I went to Silver Snail and bought a lightsaber one time when they first came out and did a whole throw with a lightsaber and stuff. It was right. just like whatever we wanted to do. And really we got to express our own personalities and be something individual and special within this corporate uh, structure. You know, it was, it's something that you don't see anymore. And as far as things going online, yeah, everyone's able to now have their voice and, and do their thing. But um, there's also just, you know, I look online and it's a lot of following, really. There's, there's very few leaders, as, as there is in the world. You know, it's the same. Right. Uh, and art imitates life. So uh, online, I see a lot of people. So that's why there's trends. It's like, oh, you did that? Now let me try to do that and do the same thing. You know, it's, but yeah, it has gone online. There's also, I think, I think social media is a wonderful thing. It's oversaturated and it will continue to be, but it's a wonderful thing. We, we all get a voice now and that's something pretty special. Awesome. You know, there's a chance for everyone to be, be a star now. Even I'm not that, sure if I answered your question. Yeah, no. It's again, it's free flowing. So whatever comes to mind, just go with it. What were some of your best interviews? Do you remember back in the day? Man, uh, yeah. Um, okay. Uh, okay. Now I have to think about best interviews. Well, I always loved when Swollen members came to town because they were my friends. So if I got to chat with them, like we, have, we were eventually signed to, my group was signed to Battle Axe EMI after. So, so um, it was great to always hang out with them. It was great when, it, for me, I, I didn't get to do as many of the big interviews because there was always a George or a Rick or, or people that had seniority over me. Right. But um, I did get to do some, some pretty cool ones. I, I got to interview Basement Jacks one time. That was one of my favorite interviews because I was a big fan of them. And it was, it was great. And, and that was a moment I learned something because I remember I used a slang that because they're, they were uh, British, they, they didn't get the slang. I said something was either stupid or like it was like, yeah, I think it was like, yo, that was just was stupid. And they were like, I'm sorry, it was stupid. <laughs> and they took offense to it. And I, and I, I learned something then that it's better to use uh, less slang and a more universal lexicon from then on in interviews when, when doing international interviews. But I got to interview uh, one of the first interviews they ever did on TV, or maybe the first was Hot Hot Heat, a wonderful right. band yeah. uh, from BC, from, from Vancouver. And I later became uh, really good friends with Steve Bays, like years later. I loved all those. I loved all the interviews, but I also really loved interviewing the people. I loved interviewing um, everyone, the streeters. And when we would go on trips, interviewing anyone that was around about what was going on it was just so natural i just really love it and i loved interviewing my fellow vjs on the spot for no reason you know yeah but yeah as far as bands go uh those ones uh i'm trying to think of it was so long ago that it's so funny i've, I've been so out of that mode for so long out of much music i think my re really i really love those ones oh who else was oh i gave someone else their first interview I think one thing that I was, oh, well, one great interview I loved was the, uh, the, the infamous moment where Avril Lavigne showed her ass on the MMBA. Uh, yeah. That was great. And I was a part of instigating that moment. Uh, we were trying to come up with something fun that would 
be a smash and that and that's what came of it and uh we were plastered on newspapers across the world <laughs> after that so that was pretty cool yeah there were so many great moments man i i, I must say that it was tw- you know uh whatever it is now 25 years later no 20 years later 20 years later i think or yeah. less than that since i left but 20 years since i started there i have to say that it all just sort of rolls into one amazing memory at this point. Yeah, of course. I mean, you mentioned Basement Jack. The individual, the, the individual moments fade. Yeah. Um, with Basement Jacks, uh, did you host EC at all as well? I was the last host of Electric Circus. Uh, I hosted it for almost two years and it was, uh, yeah. And it ended shortly after when I left, they, they tried to keep it going, but it didn't really work with, uh, anyone else but uh, amanda walsh and i were the two last hosts of electric circus and it was incredible yeah um, i saw some really like even in terms of north america you just didn't see kind of the euro beat and carl called oh, and it just didn't yeah happen. oh that was one of my favorite interviews kylie minogue on electric circus just because i had such a crush on her that was great <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, man electric circus was a trip dude that that's a show that just like it, it made no sense and yet made all the sense in the world. It was everyone's first masturbation tool. It was <laughs> uh, such a magical, weird, uh, voyeuristic show uh, that played great music and broke artists. You know, there was no real exposure for um, sort of EDM at that time. There wasn't even the term EDM at that time. And we were the only people that were really bringing in, like you said, like Carl Cox, people that were groundbreaking music makers and DJs in the electronic format and giving them a chance to shine because there was no video play for them anywhere. And there was, there was no real radio play for them. It was just in the underground clubs. And we got, gave them a chance to come on and get some exposure. And that was really a first around the world. There wasn't really, a, they weren't really, I'm sure they were doing that somewhere in Germany that I don't know about. Yeah. But, but uh, as far as North America, we were really the ones that were doing that on a show where you could watch people shake their ass for an hour on a Friday night. It's fucking amazing. One of the best uh, clips, even from the early 90s, is a Corey Feldman performance on each. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. <laughs> yes. He's just killing it there. He's got this Michael Jackson. Yeah. <laughs> the Corey Feldman Michael Jackson performance is something that everyone should YouTube, like, all the time like one if you're ever feeling down or unsure about moments in your life just google Corey feldman on electric circus uh, was he trying to yeah. ape on some like a uh, vanilla ice thing or, or what was going on there i if you're asking me what <laughs> was going on in Corey feldman's head i i could not begin to to tell you there's no way <laughs> I, I will say that I've met him maybe three or four times and at no point have I known what he was thinking. <laughs> Do you have any favorite EDM artists right now? Oh man, probably so many. I have to tell you something about like, uh, if, uh, when asked that question, I'm so bad because now that everything is, we have such an abundance of music. Right. it's so hard for me to like, I create these wonderful playlists on my Spotify, but it's there, there now my, my playlist that I go to is like a thousand or 1200 songs or something. And they're all amazing, but I don't remember any of the artists. I just know all the songs now. 
it's it's right, changed right. from when I used to worship the artist because we've gotten into a uh, a world of singles and not albums. I they fall through the cracks of my memory as far as the names, but I'm sure I could you know. I don't know as far as EDM artists. I'm not a big EDM listener to be honest. If something's really dope, I'll just listen to it. But I'm not. I don't really like recognize what it is and then i'm like oh yeah this is my shit like i'm not you know i listen to other shit for the most part yeah Did I know, uh, a dubstep had a minute had a moment of dubstep future. had more than a minute <laughs> but it's, it's funny how you know the trends come and go the chemical brothers have been around forever and uh every few years they have you know an awesome album yeah are you a chemical brothers fan yeah, I mean, I think it was a couple of years ago. I really like uh, Massive Attack as well. And oh, like- that's one of my favorite bands in the world. It's funny. I just, uh, I don't know if you know Odario, but Odario and uh, my, my, my best friend, uh, Jay Malinowski from Bedouin Sound Clash had a wonderful uh, talk about uh, the Massive Attack mezzanine record uh, mm-hmm. on Instagram Live on CBC not too long ago. And it was like, oh, that record changed my life and i think most people's lives that heard it definitely but uh as far as massive attack goes i would also say that uh uh, heligoland record yeah that was the other one i thought was just massively underrated as far as like everyone always just talks about mezzanine but i really thought that record was groundbreaking and unbelievable you know the massive attack and portisette are probably my two well portisette's my favorite band of all time so right, right. yeah so they they really changed how i made music and i you know i make hip-hop music but it was always it always had an air to to down tempo stuff that portishead and, and massive attack were doing all the, the music that was coming out of the uk in the late 90s was to me you know with tricky and all those guys it was that, that whole sound was just fucking incredible amazing i know it's funny because um there's always rumors that Robert Del Nash is kind of the inspiration for Banksy, or he is Banksy. It keeps going. Oh, yes. Go on. <laughs> um, Go on. No, I think it was funny because one of his friends said something about Robert and then connecting it to Banksy, and then it just kind of blew up in the media. Well, they did, they did do a thing where they, um, they looked at the... They, they looked at uh, the, the, where the Banksy pieces had appeared and where... Uh, their tour dates were that year and there was a bunch of them that were at the exact same you know like within two days and you're kind of like oh that's something but I really think at this point I don't think Banksy is one person uh, if I was to say I think it probably started as one person I think it's a collective at this point definitely you mentioned uh, Steve Bays and Bedouin Soundclash are those some of your can you come up with like a maybe top five or ten of your favorite Canadian bands (laughs) oh my god uh, of Canadian bands, yeah, um, bands. So that's like rock bands. Uh, the Artels, I absolutely adore. Um, I actually love them because at one point in the MMBAs, uh, Scotty, who was one of the VJs, who was like the the third generation light skinned black guy that came after me, he uh, he he was speaking with, uh, I, I believe it's Max, uh, and. Uh, and accepting an award and when he took it he went thanks rainbow and i hadn't worked there for like 15 years it was one of the funniest things i've ever heard and after that i was like okay i love these guys 
So, uh, so let, we'll, we'll put them, we'll put the, the, uh, the Arkells, we'll put obviously Bedouin Sound Class. That's my best friend's band. And those are, those are, I've toured with them many times. Those are my boys. I was always a metric fan. So metric, um, who else? Uh, chaos. I mean, but how old are we? Uh, broken social scene for sure. No, well, I'm not going to do rap. If I went rappers, I, I would go super deep, but we're going to go with non-rap. Otherwise, uh, um, and chaos sort of falls in that he's been doing rock for long enough. Who else? Um, I mean, if we huh, see, it's so hard because where where do we go? Do we say like Joni Mitchell? Do we say like Leonard Cohen? How far back do we go? You know? Yeah, those guys are good. I think I think I probably hit five at this point. Arcade Fire is great. I'm not a Rush fan. I know I'm gonna get killed. I mean, no, Sam Roberts. Sam Roberts. Sam Roberts is one of my favorite dudes, for sure. What were some of your first concert experiences? My first concert experiences? Um, I, wow. Um, see, and in 1989, uh, I was lucky enough to, to go with 1989, maybe 1990, 89 or 90. I was lucky right. enough to go. I was in LA visiting my sister and I went to the Soul Train Music Awards. Oh. And I have the craziest memories of this. I was outside waiting to go in the back because we had like, you know, the, we were going in where the artists were going in, in the yeah. back. And I, and I looked like I was a part of uh, Arrested Development, my outfit, <laughs> or like some, some sort of De La Soul, Daisy Age, I'm not sure what. I have a picture. It's, I look insane. I had like a big African medallion and beads on and a shirt that was way too big and a jacket that was even bigger. And it, I looked amazing. Uh, and I was a little kid and I was outside w waiting to go in. My sister was talking to someone and I looked beside me and Easy e was having a cigarette right next to me. Oh my God. And he said, what up little man? And I talked and I looked at him and I was just like, you know, straight out of Compton had just come out a little while earlier and they were just becoming as big as they were getting. Right. And I freaked the fuck out that that my little kid brain couldn't take it. And I had no idea what that night was had in store for me. Later on that night, I watched, um, I, I, I met Heavy D and the boys, uh, rest in peace. I met uh, Big Daddy Kane, who was my favorite rapper at the time. I met LL Cool J. I hung out with Queen Latifah and, uh, and Moni Love. And... Oh man, uh, who else performed that night? Fuck, I, it, it was, there was a couple other people that performed that night. Anyway, it was just the craziest night I ever had. And my sister said that I, I, don't, rec I don't remember what happened uh, my, myself, but as far as my sister recalls, after that night, I went home and I just was in the kitchen doing the running man for like four <laughs> and a half hours. <laughs> I was dancing for like four and a half hours until I until I passed out. So that was one of my first amazing concert experiences. But I also was lucky enough to my father was a a, a wonderful jazz musician right. and singer, and so I had been going to his shows and to wonderful jazz shows uh, ever since I was a little kid, and going to um, the Jazz Fest in New Orleans and. Um, I saw George Clinton perform in New Orleans when I was a kid once, and wow. it was fucking incredible. 
yeah, that Funkadelic, it was crazy. And, um, and uh, seeing LL Cool J on the Mama Said Knock You Out tour was something that blew my mind. Seeing Cypress Hill during the, during the, uh, fuck, what's that, what's the, what's their second record? The, the hits from the bong record. Yeah. Oh, I don't remember right now. Uh, the Insane in the Membrane record. Man, so many great concerts coming up. I, I saw, I saw Black Moon. Uh, I got on stage and smoked. This was one, oh, here, you want a much music moment. Yeah, uh, I, I had to interview Smith and Wesson and Black Moon. Now, Black Moon, to anyone who knows me, is one of my biggest influences and, like, was in when I was 13 was just in 93 94 was my favorite fucking group like when Wu-Tang came out and all that shit they came out around the same time yeah um it was like Smith and Black Moon came out in like 93 and then Wu-Tang came out in 94 with, with Smith and Weston and I was like that's it like I didn't listen to Biggie as much as everyone else I was like it's all fucking Black Moon like that's all I care about so I got the chance to interview them when I was uh, a VJ and we had such a great time uh, and I interviewed Jerry the Damager that same time, and it was fucking amazing. And then they go on stage, and uh, and I'm at the side of the stage watching, and they and they were like, "Rainbow, come out here!" And they were smoking a big ass, and they were smoking a big ass blunt on stage, and they called, yeah. me out. and I was like, not supposed to obviously do that, you know. Uh, at the time, weed was far from legal. But, like, I was a VJ. I was supposed to repre represent the company and all that shit. And I literally just looked at my producer and I went, uh, you guys are going to have to deal with this. I go, I'll, 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 I'll take the fucking meeting and the ticket and whatever it is that I take. And I went out on stage. Yeah, and I went out on stage. And, every and, and, and when I got out there, obviously, everyone knew me in the crowd. And they were like, Rainbow! And I grabbed the blunt and I just started smoking. And they went into the next of the fucking craziest moments of my life you, you, you had to. yeah there's no choice you had to i had to i had to i had to or i wouldn't be able to tell you yeah man there was so many moments yeah so many great moments do you have any favorite concert films or documentaries oh, sorry you'd have you also have to add my my brother chin and jetty who i love to that list of bands earlier i totally forgot yeah um um, do I, do I have any what? Sorry. Favorite uh, concert films or documentaries? Not offhand. Um, not offhand. I could just, um, I would say, what did I watch recently that I really enjoyed? I went to go see at, um, at the, at, at the, Bob Dylan's son did the, uh, Into the, Into the Valley or whatever it was called. Or, Into the Canyon. Um, right? Into the Canyon. It was all about Laurel Canyon. Right um in the 60s um so i went to go there and see that with my mother because my my sister was born in laurel canyon at the right. top of laurel canyon and at, at lookout mountain and um where my parents lived in the 60s and so i went with my mom and and that documentary was amazing for me because of the stories that were going on my mother was like oh yeah you know we used to see that so and so were like yeah frank zappa used to run around at the bottom of the hill because his house was there and and so-and-so lived over there whenever they would come up. And it was so fascinating for me to get a glimpse into not only something that changed the music industry so deeply right. and forever, but also something that had some extremely limited and just a touch of um, history for my family as well, just that they were there while all of that was going on. So, so that was one that I really liked. Um, what was the... Um, 
the Robbie Robertson one that just uh, yeah yeah because it's the band I think it's oh once once we're brothers okay right right and I thought that was really really wonderful because I just didn't know I love the band obviously who the fuck doesn't like what a fucking magical force but I never knew in depth about the history of them and so I, I really enjoyed that those are modern ones other than that um oh there's one Ava DuVernay did a documentary uh called The Good Life I think and it's about um it's about The Good Life uh in Los Angeles and um Project Blowed and literally the guys that made me want to rap uh Freestyle Fellowship Ganja K fucking The Nonce uh Volume 10 all of all of the best rappers in my opinion that have ever yeah. lived um she did a documentary because she was a part of it i didn't know but oh my god props to her i would say that's probably one of my, my favorite ones and then uh, uh you know i'm a rapper i also um i just watched a documentary called the art of freestyle which is all about just uh real freestyle sessions in the 90s in new york and, and across the world and that was really cool for me to see um yeah those are the ones i would say right now that i've, I've watched that really stick in my brain but there's so many. I mean, I've seen a fucking million. <laughs> what was the name of your group? Was, my group was called The Oddities. Okay, cool. And uh, we had lots of underground releases, and our one commercial release was on EMI, and it's called The Scenic Group. And uh, you can listen to it on uh, all the streaming platforms. It's available. It's a, it's a, it still stands up, if you're going to take my opinion, to something, a record we did in 2001. We were always oddities, and we always had a sound that was a little bit different. And it's funny, I didn't realize how different we were until I go back and listen to it now and listen to other things that were coming out at that time. And uh, yeah, we definitely had something. We had something. It's a shame we, uh, we couldn't keep it going. Too, too, many, uh, too many smart guys. Right. <laughs> too, too many smart guys in a room. Because even now, it seems like, you know, rap has taken over popular music almost entirely. Yeah, but it's not good. <laughs> well, is it, is it just like the, the frequency that there's so much coming out? It was always so popular. Shit, right. rap's controlled music since the early 2000s, man. No, for sure. There's, for sure. there's like, as far as charts go and as far as money making is gone, they've, rap has made all the money for a long, long time. But I think now it's just like, now rap is this i don't know i'm very disappointed with rap it's like this level of like what we hated about the jiggy era right but like we hate we hated the jiggy era because at the time we had fucking real rap and people were saying amazing things and then the jiggy era came out and it was just about money and bullshit and it was like oh no like this is horrible and then it sort of went away for a while and it was like okay good that's over and then you know and then the south came and and did their thing and like and uh and trap started but it was like good trap and then it all just got bastardized. And now it's just like people talking. Like, I don't know what any song's about. No one's saying anything. And these people are making so much money. And rappers also didn't used to make very much money. Right. Now these, now these kids are like holding up stacks of money like phones. It's all very tacky now. I just really don't like it. You know, it's always been about chains and stuff. But there was some sort of class to it before or style to it. Now it's all very tacky in my opinion. I would love for a resurgence of people saying things. It still exists. I would just love for them to be the ones that make some money and are popular and for people to really know what rap is because there's so much more to it. You know? 
Yeah, that's really interesting because even like 20 years or back, you had people calling each other sellouts, but it just seems that's, that's the mainstream now. Well, there was a, t you know, historically, you couldn't be a biter. You couldn't have the same style as someone or you would be ostracized from the, the entire program. And now, if you sound like Drake, you, you, people like you. Right. Or, or if you sound like someone else. And everyone just has the exact same. The Migos came out and did that little triplet flow and it fucked it up for everyone. Everyone just decided that was what it is. And now it's just like, everyone's the same. I, I really just, it's just one long song to me. It's just 808s and weird hi-hats that are going too many times and too fast. And then it, it's this, it's this same program. It's really this format and everyone just eats it up and I don't understand it, but I think it's because it's easily digestible. You know, right. it's like the, it's the techno of rap. It's just like it carries you. And then you have some guy that's not saying anything and you're like, yeah, this is fucking great. <laughs> That's really interesting. Know. Do you think the internet itself and how things run by algorithms, is that kind of blame? What do you mean? Well, just in terms of it, like, you know, computer programs feeding us songs rather than people going out to try and find it on their own. I think, um, I think now the masses control things and the masses have a lot more followers than leaders and so it just takes a drop before it for osmosis happens and it all spreads and people want something that's palatable and there's a lot of people that don't want to actually listen to what's going on so the popular shit is the garbage i have no idea but i just everything's trends i have no idea i i can't call why you know i just know what is what is is garbage for the most part like in the mainstream but i don't, I don't know why i wish i did are you a video game guy at all <laughs> yeah. Yes. I, I had a video game YouTube channel for eight years that I probably should have kept going because it probably would have been making money now. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, I've been playing games since I was a little kid. I've, I, yeah. Uh, on Actually, you want to hear much music story? Go for it. Uh, in 2001, when they started a show called MOD, Much On Demand. Yep. Alex Sapinka, who's the, the uh, promoter, who is also a video game guy like me, we used to talk about games all the time. And we basically were talking one day and we were like, hey, how can we get them to give us some free games? And then we were like, well, let's fucking play some games on the TV show and then they'll have to sponsor us. And, and it seemed like a great idea. And it was. And so we had one of the first uh, live video game shows other than sort of video and arcade top 10 which happened on ytv in the early 90s right, yeah. but but um as far as like the the 2000s and before and just pre sort of youtube pre-social media we uh, i think it was on thursdays uh i would play against a random a brand whatever game came out on the wednesday we would play on the thursday the brand new game and promote it and then i would play against someone live on air and uh, I went 57 weeks uh, and w wins and no losses. I never lost. And by the, so it started off, I was playing against people that didn't really know what they were doing. But by the end, it sort of caught wind. And so we had people with signs and people that were coming in like valid challengers. It was very, very funny and very fun. So, yeah, I'm a, I'm a pretty hardcore gamer. Do you have any yeah. favorite video game music that comes to mind? Final Fantasy. Yeah. The theme song from Final Fantasy, Final Fantasy VII, 
is the I, I love that they just released a remake. That's literally I'm I'm an RPG guy and that's literally my favorite game ever. Of course, Tony Hawk Pro Skater 2 is another game that they're just releasing and that's epic for music. All of the EA Yeah had great music curation as far as as far as not original music but as far as like music curating from artists like they've always had underground artists they've always had um artists that um were doing songs that were custom you know like a new nba live would come out and like right. fabulous would do the song and it would be a song that you you could only get on that soundtrack or like jay-z would come on you're like i don't know this jay-z song oh because it's about the nba like it's fucking <laughs> incredible you know, it was like Method Man. Like, it, it was that. I always thought that they were way ahead of their time as far as that goes. Yeah, it's funny because, you know, uh, Pitchfork Media? Yeah, of course. They put out, um, they have a list of classic albums. And the uh, Ocarina yeah. of Time soundtrack is on that, of like all classic albums. Oh, well, that's a beautiful soundtrack, of course. I actually went and saw a symphony do that. Oh yeah, somewhere I don't. Yeah, I don't remember where I was, but they they did the the entire thing. Yeah, I really liked that Chrono Trigger back in the day too. Yo, you played Chrono Trigger? I loved Chrono Trigger. Yeah, <clears throat> Chrono that, the whole Chrono Chrono series was great. Oh, Chrono Trigger was awesome. That was a PlayStation One, wasn't it? I think so. And I didn't realize you can uh, you could escape from battles, so I never did. I never liked left one. <laughs> <laughs> that's amazing it took like 10 more hours um, than usual <laughs> that's not well, that's not much when it comes to an yeah. rpg yeah um, I, I i heavy reset the clock on final fantasy 7 and lost two relationships during that game so <laughs> <laughs> it's funny if i load up my old memory card it's like all the characters are named after like the girls that i had crushes on in high school oh, man it's <laughs> funny but it seemed like 15 like they were like a boy band almost the, like the Who? characters. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's hilarious. And they like yeah. a car. Like Cla a car? Cloud, Cloud, Cloud Stripe is definitely the leader of a boy band with that hair. <laughs> definitely. Um, I don't have much else here. Anything you want to kind of plug or put out there? Um, speaking of music, uh, I you know go watch the new TV show that I'm on, High Fidelity. It's an incredible music-based. Uh, dr drama in every way. Zoe Kravitz is the lead. I play her brother. We have fucking incredible acting. And uh, Questlove is our music supervisor. The soundtrack is banging. If you want to talk about a soundtrack, it's available on Spotify. Um, I can't wait till we can go outside again. And uh, hopefully I'll be able to go back to New York and shoot season two. But the show is a fucking smash. Um, you know, I'm hoping. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's a worthwhile watch, and it's it's a really 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 wonderful soundtrack and a great show. So that's all I'd plug. And uh, other than that, I'm I'm slowly working on some new music that no one is expecting and no one cares <laughs> about, and and I and I like it that way. Um, so who knows? At some point, I may uh, put some out. Who knows? That was my interview with Rainbow Sun Franks. Thanks so much for coming by. This has been Cambrio from cambriomusic.com.